by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Wow, what an introduction. I'm not uh, I'm not sure that we are worthy of that. Thanks to uh, Captain Kirk, Jim, for putting that together for us. Um, I guess we don't have to say it. This is Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, and also Vicar Bader. Don't want you to feel left out, Oh, thank Vicar. you. I appreciate that. Each, uh, each week we come together, we take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday the one-year series of readings, sometimes called the Historic Readings, the Historic Series. And uh, we do this for your uh, personal edification, for your devotional time, for preparing to be in God's house, and even pastors preparing to work on their sermons. And so uh, we're very, very excited to do that. And as we study these words from God, um, we are proclaiming the one and only Savior from sin, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the second Sunday in Advent. For the last several weeks, we've had kind of an end of the world theme. Um, That end of the world theme carries over into our Advent season, and the first two Sundays in Advent uh, very, very much have this theme. This will be the last kind of Judgment Day, end of the world theme specifically for a while, but uh, we pray that this will be a blessing for you. Vicar, our introit is a portion of Psalm 80 and the antiphon, and that's the the verse that's at the beginning and at the end of the introit, is uh, selected verses from Isaiah 62 and Isaiah 30. Take it away, please. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. The Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard, and you shall have gladness of heart. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Okay, we've got a lot of uh, themes here and a lot of those that are kind of all coming together and making a head with this uh, end of the world, judgment day kind of a theme. And right off the bat, it says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. First of all, Pastor, who is this daughter of Zion thing that... uh, uh, is mentioned here, again, from Isaiah 62. 
I would say that this daughter of Zion is a personification of the church. Uh, this idea of daughter of Zion, meaning a, a young woman of Jerusalem, Zion being the uh, western hill of Jerusalem. And, and so this woman is pictured then as kind of the church um, and being told then that salvation comes, carrying off of last week, the first week in Advent when we heard about Christ's coming into the city of Jerusalem to go to the cross, to suffer, to bleed, and to die, to forgive all sin. We have uh, the Messiah, Jesus, often referred to as a bridegroom, and the church, believers, referred to as the bride, and I think this is just a continuation of that. The daughter will become a bride, that kind of a thing. And uh, sometimes men in the church get really nervous with this. We're not talking about some sort of uh, transgender kind of nonsense. We're just talking about the word picture that God gives. And as a part of the church, we are the bride of Christ, whether you are a male or a female, old or young, that kind of a thing. And what is being said to the church, to the believer, is, behold, looky here, aha, your salvation comes. Vicar, what's going on here? Your salvation comes. Yeah, these people that have uh, been in bondage, for Isaiah, this would have been uh, the Assyrian Empire had the people of Israel in bondage, correct? Yeah, the nation of Israel. Yeah, and uh, so they are yearning for salvation from the Lord, and here Isaiah is prophesizing that the Lord will indeed save them from the people that they are enslaved under. Same thing for the church today. The Lord has promised that as he ascended into heaven, so likewise he will sometime descend from heaven and save us, the church here on earth, all the baptized believers. He will save us from those who have dominion over us, namely sin, death, and the devil. Okay, so we have this, this anticipation, this longing, this waiting, and God gives a word. Your salvation comes. The Messiah the Savior is coming. This is, uh, this is the word that they want to hear. This is the word that they need to hear. But let's be honest. Uh, sometimes we don't want to promise about something that's going to happen. We want the real McCoy. We want it to be done right now. The people have been hanging on to that promise for so long, and now... God, through Isaiah here, says, your salvation comes. Now is the time. How is this a crucial theme for our season of Advent? Your salvation is coming. The season of Advent, we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, the word Advent means to come to us or to come toward us. Uh, and the season of Advent is looking then at the three comings of that Messiah. The first one being when he comes in the uh, manger born in Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling cloths. The second coming when he is or coming at the end of the world. And then in the in-between time, he does come to us uh, in word and in sacrament. And so Christ is continually coming 
So that promise from Isaiah is true for the first year back in Isaiah's day that the Messiah is coming soon to be born in Bethlehem. It's true for us now in the day of the church uh, that he comes in his word and sacrament and that he's also going to come someday soon uh, to bring this world to an end and to take us to live with him forever. We have a, a very interesting word structure, word play in the next line in our introit. The Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard. The Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard. What does this tell us, Vicar, with regard to the proclamation of the gospel and who is doing the doing? Yeah, it's the Lord that works through his word in order to give us the Holy Spirit and enliven faith within us. The Lord does all these things to us. The Lord is the one continually working on us in the divine service. He comes to us through his word. He comes to us to remind us that our sins are forgiven and confession and absolution. He comes to us with his very body and blood in the Lord's Supper. And uh, so faith is not something that we have in and of ourselves. It is something that the Lord has caused in us by us hearing his majestic voice, that is, hearing the word of God. Okay, so, so God is doing the verbs. It's not my effort. It's not my action. This is God at work. And then the very next line tells us what the result is. And you shall have gladness of heart. What, what kind of gladness are we talking about here? Uh, I got a nice present under the Christmas tree. I got a nice Christmas bonus in my paycheck. Um, the Huskers landed another star recruit. What kind of good news or gladness of heart uh, is God talking about here? I think this gladness of heart is uh, faith um, faith that trusts the word of God, faith that trusts the salvation of God that's coming, and that uh, uh, is, in a way, kind of like you got a good Christmas present, only it's way, way, way better than that, uh, because this isn't um, you know a little toy soldier that batteries are going to wear out, or a, a, a car that you're going to leave um, at the park on accident, or you know that the dog will chew up. This is a present that can never be destroyed or lessened or weakened. It is eternal life promised for you through the blood of Jesus, forgiveness for all of your sins, and the strength to carry out your life day in and day out in this miserable world, knowing that there is hope for you in the world to come. The next part of Psalm 80, uh, we are addressing God and we're asking him to listen, to listen to us and to listen to our problem. The names of God here, I think, are very, very significant. The shepherd of Israel you who lead Joseph like a flock. Vicar, why is God addressed as the shepherd of Israel, the one who leads Joseph like a flock? Well, he has already shown this throughout uh, the first five books of the Bible where God leads his people through the wilderness into this good land. And uh, here now, just prior to this, Isaiah is promising that salvation comes the lord will lead them back to that good land to jerusalem and that's what the lord still does for us today he is leading us through this valley of sorrow to someday be with him forever in paradise the next the next line pastor 
I know we're running short of time on this segment, but the next line, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth. How is this enthronement of God another major Advent theme? Well, um, Christ uh, comes for the very purpose of being our King and our Lord and our Savior. And so the reason that he is enthroned is because he was also coronated upon the cross uh, where he was crowned with thorns, he was given the purple robe, uh, and he comes then to be our Lord, to be our shepherd. Uh, and shepherds always lead with their voice. And so this whole intro it has that theme being driven through the whole thing uh, to carry it together and tell us the theme of the day for this week in the church year. Okay. Well, this is the second Sunday in Advent as we're looking at the readings here, proclaiming the one. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the gospel reading for Advent 2, Luke 21, 25 through 36. You might want to get your Bibles out and follow along with us. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Albert Bader. We're taking a look at the readings for the second Sunday in Advent. You just heard one of those great Advent hymns, The King Shall Come. In our introit in segment number one, we talked about several Advent themes, and one of them is that the fact that the Lord is enthroned on high. He is our King, our King who comes to save us. Thanks be to God. We want to take now a look at our gospel reading for the second Sunday in Advent, Luke 21, 25 to 36. Give us a, give us a sign, Vicar, would you please? Jesus said, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Pastor, we've got uh, so many different themes here to look at. 
Some of them are continuations from the last several weeks as we've been studying this uh, eschatology, this end of time, end of the world kind of uh, kind of thinking. But uh, this particular text from Luke chapter twenty-one really, in a sense, brings many of them together. Right off the bat, we talk about signs, signs and wonders. These signs are um, natural, supernatural things that are clearly evident. Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, distress of the nations, perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Um, I imagine we're talking about tidal waves and cyclones and those kind of things. People fainting with fear, foreboding of what is coming on the world. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Um, What day are we talking about here, Pastor? And uh, why is this such a uh, frightful, fearful, perplexing day for so many people? The day that's being talked about is the day that Christ comes for the second time to bring this world to its end. And uh, he's giving the, uh, he mentions it later on about the fig tree, that uh, you know the fig tree is ready to go and the leaves start growing and the uh, the blossoms come out. Uh, he's doing the same thing here for the end times, that you'll know it's coming when you see these things taking place. And uh, the great news for us as Christians is that um, we know a little bit more. Uh, We hear this word, we look around, we say, this is happening now. We're in the age of the church. Christ is coming soon. Uh, These things have been happening here for for quite a while, and they'll keep on happening until finally he does come. Uh, And so it is, again, I think we had this a while ago, a warning for us to stay awake, to pay attention, to watch, uh, because Christ is coming, and he's coming soon. Specifically here, Jesus is talking about then, meaning on that day, the last day, the great and fearful day of the Lord, judgment day, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You know, I don't know if this is a preview of the preview of coming attractions, but uh, if we skip ahead to the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus, which is recorded for us at the end of Luke, and then also again at the beginning of Luke part two called the Acts of the Apostles, we see Jesus ascending up into heaven. And then Jesus, as he is ascending up into heaven, the angels come, cloud engulfs him, and you can't see him anymore. Then an angel comes and says, in the same way that you saw Jesus leave, he's coming back. So even before those words are given by the angel telling people to get ready, Jesus gives us a picture of it right here. And I just, I love it when you see those kind of things in Scripture. So Jesus is coming. Now, Pastor, this is obviously figurative language, right? Um, you know, kind of a mental picture of Jesus. We're not really going to see Jesus coming in a cloud with power and great glory, are we? We we definitely are. Um, it is not a word picture, but on that last great day when Christ returns, whenever that will be, 
Every single eye in all the world will see him returning with power and might and glory. Uh, we don't know how that's going to happen. It's almost like the world's going to be turned inside out uh, so that we can all see at the same time. Uh, those who are dead and their eyes have uh, rotted away, uh, they'll be raised and put back together so their eyes can see. And uh, Christ will come and give eternal life to those who believe in him. Good news for all of us, uh, but he will also come and give eternal death to those who do not have faith in them, uh, which is part of what this text is teaching, to watch out and to be awake and to pay attention. We have some words of encouragement that are spoken next in verse 28. Uh, Specifically speaking to believers, Jesus says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, personally, I think that's the key verse to this uh, to this entire text. Vicar, we have several Advent hymns that talk about uh, lift up your heads, ye mighty gates, lift up your heads, ye everlasting doors. Um, why is this good news that Jesus would tell a Christian on the last day, lift up your head? Well, first of all, if you have your head lifted up and you're seeing all this happening, uh, you're not afraid. If you were afraid, your head would not be lifted up. Your head would be facing the other direction as you run away, correct? You'd, you'd be cowering in fear yeah. uh, like, a, like a little child who expects dad to come home and give him a whooping because he broke mom's favorite vase yeah. or some yeah. such thing like that. I, I've been watching this uh, Medal of Honor TV show and uh, whenever the bullets start flying in that, they always put down their heads, even these brave guys. And uh, that's the way the natural reaction would be. Yeah. And we always like to keep in mind whenever some sort of posture is mentioned, because if your head is lifted up and you're seeing Christ come in his glory, you're excited for these things, well, what would the opposite of that be? Your head dropping low wallowing in doubt and self-pity and sorrowful even, maybe even weeping because you know that your end has come. So us who believe in Jesus Christ will keep our heads lifted up and be joyful because our salvation is at hand. So instead of cowering in fear, uh, we're watching the show. Instead of cowering in fear, we're, we're looking with excitement and joy in anticipation because we know why Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to get us. He's coming back to take us to the mansion prepared for us since the beginning of time. He's coming back to deliver us from this world of sin. He's coming back to fulfill the words we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. And uh, this is probably about as great a good news as you could possibly have. Um, Straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Pastor, when we talked in uh, the first segment with regard to our introit, behold, your salvation comes. Is Jesus saying the same thing here in uh, Luke 21, verse 28, your redemption is drawing near? Or is he uh, saying something else, something different? I would say it's the same thing. The 
redemption, the salvation, the promise of God is the same in every single time he promises it, that uh, his Savior will rescue us from sin, death, and the power of the devil, and uh, that that's good news for us, uh, that that's our hope and that's our only hope. And uh, so whenever we hear that promise of a Savior coming, we ought to take it as good news for us as Christians. So we have this picture here of Jesus telling us to beware and to read the signs. Now, as a as a pastor, I'm sure as a seminary student, you get this all the time. You know, pastor, uh, I've been watching the headlines, you know, the stuff that's going on in Washington, the stuff that's going on in Israel, the stuff that's going on in Russia. Oh, Russia and the Ukraine, we're about ready to have World War III. Uh, the end is near, Pastor, and we need to we need to get our act together. How is that a correct understanding of reading the sign and the times, and how is that an incorrect understanding? Vicar, I'll give you first crack at that. Well, it's correct in the uh, way that it makes you see that we are sinners living in a sinful world. Therefore, we have to yearn and strive to go where our Savior is and hear again how he has saved us. It's incorrect in the uh, sense of nobody knows the time or place when Christ will come again for his second coming. Even when he was on earth, he says, even I do not know, only the Father knows when this will happen. And so we can't nail it down to a certain day and a certain time that Jesus is going to come again. But when we see these things taking place, we know for sure that we are still in this sinful world awaiting our Savior to come again. So, uh, and Vicar, I think you, you're right on both counts there. So is it that God doesn't know when he's coming back? Why would he keep us in suspense here? What's, what's the purpose of this uh, reading the signs and then yet not telling us exactly when he's coming? Well, if I knew uh, that tomorrow... Uh, if I knew what tomorrow's lottery numbers are going to be, I would go buy the ticket today so that I'd be all set and ready to go. Um, or any any example like that we could use. If we knew the day that Christ was going to come, then I could live the way I wanted to now. I could go have some fun. I could uh, be drunk in the streets and do whatever I wanted to. And then the day before, I'd suddenly repent and, oh, I'm so sorry, uh, please forgive me, and uh, I'd be fine, right? But for God, it doesn't work that way. So out of his grace and mercy, he doesn't tell us the day or the hour that he's coming so that we live as Christians for our entire life in preparation and in faith in him. God wants us to be ready today. And then if he grants us a tomorrow, tomorrow he wants us to be ready today. And this is how a Christian should live his or her life, knowing that our salvation is absolutely 100% secure in Christ Jesus with an eye on heaven and knowing that God has given us one more day to live and honor and rejoice in the good news that he has given us. This is Proclaiming the One. We need to take a short break. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
Bringing Bach Back, Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd love to have you join us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. We also worship year-round on Wednesday evenings at 630. During the Advent season, we have a fellowship meal at 5, worship at 630. And on the 19th of December, our midweek Advent worship will be our children's Christmas program. School, preschool, and Sunday school all working together. You are all invited. Please join us, and we pray God's richest blessings on your Advent journey to the manger the cross, and the empty tomb. We have been through our introit in segment number one. In segment number two, we took a good look at the gospel reading, Luke 21, 25 through 28, but uh, we kind of stopped right there, and uh, there's a dividing line that is happening in our gospel reading here. Jesus is teaching. He's telling us to read the signs. He wants us to be ready and to be prepared. For believers, this is not a time to cower in fear and to navel gaze, but to look up in joy and anticipation. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of Man, is coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Our salvation, our redemption is drawing near. We have now a parable that Jesus tells to emphasize everything that he has taught with regard to this end times theology of Jesus. Vicar, you want to read that again, beginning at verse 29 of Luke chapter 21. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Okay, this may be the shortest parable in the history of parables. Jesus says, look at the fig tree and and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. That's the parable. That's the parable. Pastor, um, what's Jesus teaching? Why is Jesus teaching us this? You might ask someone, uh, how do you know that it's summer? Well, you look around and you see that the uh, trees have their leaves. How do you know that it's winter? Right now we look around and uh, 
none of the trees have leaves, and if they do, they're weighed down with snow and falling off and breaking and uh, dead. Um, and that's the whole idea that Jesus is trying to teach here. Uh, look at the trees, specifically the fig trees. Those are the ones that uh, lose their leaves and grow back in uh, Israel. Um, look, if it has trees, the time is near. And the point for the parable is, look around you. You see wars, rumors of wars. You see people fainting with fear and foreboding of what's coming. Uh, the end is near. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Wake up, watch, Christ is coming. That's the whole point of Advent. Uh, Pay attention, Christ is coming. And uh, one of the things I like to say with this particular text is uh, Jesus is communicating. This is not complicated, folks. You don't need volume after volume of left-behind books to tell you (laughs) to get ready. You do not need podcast after podcast telling you about the the rapture and all these. Look outside. Is it summer or winter? Are the leaves on the tree? This, I mean, any little child can figure this out. And any little child can realize, because of the signs that we have today, that today is the day. God wants us to be ready today. Jesus' coming is closer today than it was yesterday. Now, Vicar, I'm going to give you first crack at uh, one of the more difficult verses, uh, might say in this text, but really in all of Scripture. Verse 32 says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Um, we're still waiting for Jesus to come back in the same way that he ascended. Uh, Did Jesus make a mistake? Did Jesus lie? Is Jesus just uh, confused or deranged? What's going on here in verse 32? Well, we talked about a little bit already that uh, the two comings of Christ, his first coming as a baby in Bethlehem and his second coming now that we are awaiting for his final judgment, is uh, in between... There is still another coming. Jesus comes to us through his word and sacrament still today and every day that we gather around his word. Well, the same is true for Jesus back then. He is there right then and there. He has come to them. Their salvation has come. But yet, he is still yet to die for their sins. He is still yet to ascend into heaven. And they're going to have to see all these things take place. And he promises that after that stuff has happened, he also will come again. So they have to be ready for it. And... This rumors of wars and everybody running around in fear. Well, that might also be uh, Jesus using history to show us what is going to happen in the future as well. Uh, Later on, after this time when Jesus has already ascended into heaven and now we are waiting for him to descend back and judge the living and the dead, uh, Jerusalem is going to be totally destroyed. And these people are going to see some of these fears and uh, scary things that Jesus had prophesied about happen right in front of them. I think you did a pretty good job, Vicar, there answering. Pastor, when he says this generation will not pass away, as Vicar said, he has yet to go to the cross. He has yet to suffer and die for the sins of the world. He has yet to rise from the dead and ascend gloriously into heaven. The generation he's talking about is going to see that. They're going to witness that. They're going to hear that. How are those events of Good Friday 
Easter Sunday and his joyous ascension into heaven a realized eschatology right here and right now. That's a a theological phrase that is bantered about. How is that the last day brought to us right here and right now in those events of Jesus' life? Those events are the central message, the central purpose and being of all days uh, that exist in this world. Uh, Without those days, no other day really matters. Those days carry their importance, their blessings, their gifts uh, through the word and the sacrament to every single day where we are alive. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what's the point of making it through the day? Without the uh, uh, cross of Christ, where's our forgiveness of sins now? Uh, So that part definitely is a part of this eschatological picture here, or end times picture. Uh, Without uh, Christ, there's no way to look at that. I think also we have to take the uh, pericope here, or this section of scripture in its context, and know that right before this, Jesus is also talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that that generation is going to see as well. Uh, those who were uh, alive and saw the crucifixion of Jesus in just 40 years after that, they'll also witness every stone being turn, torn down and uh, all the people of Jerusalem being killed, uh, so much so that the blood ran inches deep in the Temple Mount and hundreds of thousands of people were led away into slavery and even more more crucified uh, and killed. And so all these things um, they're going to see, pay attention, wake up, watch. Um, that's the message that uh, underlies all these warnings and these, uh, these words. He tells, it, tells us it's going to happen before it happens, and then it happens. So we should trust his word about any and every topic. And that really leads us into one of the uh, most often awesome passages in all of Scripture. Luke twenty-one thirty-three: Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Pastor, how is this the comfort, strength, encouragement, Uh, Any other adjective that you can throw out there for the Christian, especially during difficult days? Right. Just compare that to other things. Uh, You have uh, a lot of money in your uh, 401k. That's really great. That can be your hope until the stock market crashes. You have uh, paid off your mortgage and have a nice house. That's really great until the kitchen sets on fire and it burns down. You are healthy now and you can run a marathon. That's really great until you break a leg or get cancer or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's disease. Uh, All the gifts that are in this world, the things that you have, will pass away. Um, The thing that will not pass away is God's Word. And What's that Word say? Uh, I have baptized you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and because of that you are mine. Uh, This is my body and blood. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are forgiven by the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All these things are God's word, and that promise that the word proclaims will not pass away, meaning you will always be God's child in baptism. You will always have eternal life when you eat the Lord's Supper. You will uh, always be forgiven of all your sin by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a great promise that God's word of promise 
never disappears, lessens, or slackens. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Well said. Uh, Vicar, as we bring this section to a close, Jesus gives us a final warning. Verse 34 and following. Watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Why is this a constant temptation for the believer as we live in this world with an eye toward heaven? Why are we constantly tempted with the worries and cares of this world? Well, those are the things that Satan uses against us all the time to try to create a wedge between us and God, whether or not we will truly believe his word. Jesus has promised to come again, but we've been waiting for over 2,000 years. Uh, Is he really going to come again? Uh, Maybe we should do the Epicurean mindset and uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die and that's going to be the end. Uh, those are the false lies that Satan tries to put in front of us, trying to lure, lure us away with desires of wealth or women or whatever it might be, alcohol. But we are called to wait in the sinful world, to trust in God's word and everything that he has said in it, especially the promise that our sins are forgiven. And because of that, we will live forever with him in paradise. The king shall come. He says it. It's going to happen. Lift up your heads. You don't have to be worried about the cares and worries of this world. You don't have to be weighed down with the dissipation. Your salvation is coming. Your king is coming for you. Everything that we cling to in this world will pass away. But thanks be to God. His word, his word of promise, his word of life will not pass away. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our epistle reading from Romans chapter 15. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're taking a look at the readings for the second Sunday in Advent. In our first segment, we looked at the introit for Advent 2. In segments 2 and 3, we looked at the gospel reading, Luke 21, 25 through 36. And now in our final segment for the day, we're going to take a look at our epistle reading, Romans 15, 4 to 13. Remember, you can always uh, catch up, listen to past programs, or listen to a segment uh, that you may have missed just jumping in the car or turning on the radio on our website, www.thecross957.org. Go to the program archive section, and you'll find all kinds of programs there, including church services and uh, at home in your hymnal, all kinds of stuff. So give us your feedback, and we love it when you check us out either live on the radio or on our website. Uh, 
Vicar, Romans 15, 4 to 13. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Once again, we have a lot of themes that come out here, a lot of Advent themes out of just pure Christian themes. And for those of you that have listened to this program, you know that many times the epistle reading is kind of a practical application, a day-to-day application of the biblical truths that have been taught to us in the other readings, especially the gospel reading for the day. So here, um, in this second part of Romans, we uh, we make a distinction as we read the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters are more doctrinal chapters, uh, beginning in verse 12 and following. This is more practical application or sanctified living parts. This is in this section. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. What are we talking about here, Pastor? The things written in former days. We're talking about the Old Testament scriptures, or from our intro lesson, that God caused his majestic voice to be heard uh, and even written down by the people of old in uh, various ways and various times. And that word then that uh, uh, is recorded for us in that Old Testament scripture is for our edification, for our faith, uh, for our instruction that we might trust and uh, uh, love God in Jesus more and more every time we're in that word. Okay, so we're talking about the word of God, that same word of God that Jesus tells us will last forever, even when heaven and earth will melt away. Now we've got a section here that uh, is, is really pretty amazing, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Now the encouragement of Scripture seems to be pretty clear. Uh, God encourages us through the Holy Scriptures. God encourages us through the Word, and He gives us hope. That word that uh, maybe throws us for a little bit of a loop is endurance. What kind of endurance, Pastor, are we talking about here? We're talking about endurance in suffering for the sake of God's Word. Uh, we're 
when Paul writes this, he's hoping to go to Rome, and when he gets there, what happens to him? He is uh, beheaded and killed for the faith. Uh, The Christians uh, are blamed for the uh, fire of Rome that took place during the time of Nero, and many of them are killed in the arena. Uh, They're uh, uh, fed to wild animals. Their bodies are burned on poles to light the streets. Uh, They're suffering because they have a confession of faith that is Jesus crucified and risen to take away all sins. And so Paul is uh, saying that through the word, through uh, hearing the scriptures, you have the strength to face that persecution that is coming. Okay, when I think of endurance, and, and again, thank you, very well said. When I think of endurance, I think of an athlete. I think of, of an endurance runner. Um, you know, people find this hard to believe, but back in the olden days, uh, I was a sprinter and, uh, I was, uh, you know, fairly proficient as a sprinter. I'll never forget the day the, uh, the coach says, uh, uh, Clint, I want you to run a half a mile. Well, for somebody who rarely ran longer than uh, 220, 200 meters today uh a half a mile um i said well of course i can do that and so i took off running just like i normally did and first i thought i was going to die <laughs> and then i wished i could die <laughs> because this race just never this oh lord it was so horrific and so God uses our suffering, not, not like a means of grace. You, know, you, you don't automatically get stronger in faith just because you suffer. But like you said, as we weather, as we endure the, the sufferings that come about in our day-to-day life, we grow stronger and stronger and stronger in the faith. And that endurance, like a long-distance runner, the more that we train, the more that we suffer, the more that we can endure. And it is a, it is a great picture. Now, lest you think that we have this mixed up, um, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. And then it goes on. God calls himself the God of encouragement. God calls himself the God of endurance. What does that teach us, Pastor? When we have a title, a majestic title, that God is the God of encouragement and endurance, what hope does that give us just in the very name of God? It means that as we face all the trials and struggles, that uh, God will be there with us, uh, enduring with us. And we see that perhaps clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, who uh, suffers and endures the cross for us, who uh, bleeds and dies for us, is beaten for us, uh, hangs for six hours. I mean, I don't think we oftentimes think about it, even on Good Friday. For six hours, Jesus had his beaten and bloodied back, rubbing up and down on a tree, reopening wounds, while he had nails through his hands and through his feet, and the pain and the suffering that that really would bring for him for six whole hours. That's about a whole day at work. Um, You know, if you take a little longer lunch break, maybe. That's how long Jesus was on the cross suffering, and he endured it all so that you might be forgiven of all of your sin. 
what a uh, what a marvelous picture there and the result of this is how we live how we live our lives because Christ has done this for us because Christ is the God of endurance and um, encouragement we are encouraged in the midst of our suffering and life here on earth to live in harmony with one another again we can't do this on our own this is in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then our text goes on to talk about all these wonderful pictures of harmony and living together and uh, joyous, holy living, sanctified living in the life of a Christian. Pastor, how is it that knowing Jesus Christ, his endurance, his encouragement, gives us encouragement in the midst of our sufferings that leads to holy living and harmonious living with other people. We have to understand that the word harmony here doesn't mean like uh, what we normally think, you know, that we all hold hands and sing kumbaya. (laughs) Right. This is uh, harmony that comes about from a common confession of faith. We all confess in one voice that Jesus has suffered, bled, and died to forgive us all of our sins. And because of that, we're united together with all the other people who have that same confession of faith. It naturally happens. Uh, it doesn't talk about this part, but that also separates us then as well from those who have a different confession of faith uh, or don't believe the same things. But that's all going on. And so the God of endurance and encouragement allows us to live united together as the one holy Christian church, uh, the communion of saints, uh, and uh, to together receive the forgiveness of sins. And so how do we live in that harmony? We say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit. Um, That's our confession of faith that unites us in the harmony of the Christian faith. That is extremely well said, and that explains the, the bulk of the rest of the verses here where it's talking about the, the main division in the early Christian church, Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile are one as they have this common confession, Jesus is Lord, and the acknowledging who the true God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're about out of time, but I want to have a couple of words, Pastor, on the last verse of our text, uh, one of the most beautiful benediction-type verses in all of Scripture. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The God of endurance, the God of encouragement, is now the God of hope. How does one lead to the other? What is our hope? Uh, Our hope is that because Jesus bled and died, and that we uh, have that common faith in our suffering and struggles in this world, uh, that through the Word uh, unites us all together, that we have the hope of the life that is to come, where we will have no more suffering or struggle or pain, uh, where the sun will not strike us nor any scorching heat, uh, where we won't be hungry or thirsty, but instead we'll have the joy and peace of being face-to-face with God forever. Uh, God will bring that to us through the Holy Spirit, through the Word, so that one day we will live forever with Him in His kingdom. 
our God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the God of hope. For you who may be uh, distressed and perplexed during this holiday season because uh, people or things or even your own body has let you down, uh, don't despair. God loves you in Christ Jesus, and he will stir up that hope in you. Vicar, lead us in our colic for the day, would you please? Let us pray. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 This is Pastor Clint Poppy for Pastor Adam Moline and Vicar Albert Bader. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. We'll be back again next week. God's richest blessings in Jesus Christ.